All right, we good to go? First John chapter 5, verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of the God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and in his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves away from idols. You may be seated. You may be seated. Hear the word of the Lord. I know we've been, um, for the last few weeks, we've been going through a sermon series called On the Way, it's going through the Psalm of Ascent. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is not a part of that. <laughs> uh, we'll take a little break and we'll get right back into the Psalm of Ascent uh, next week. But we just want to encourage you from the book of 1 John this morning. Can we do that this morning? Can we talk about the Bible this morning, God? <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. I'm going to pray, then we'll get right into it, all right? Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for your time. Thank you for allowing us to gather together. Thank you um, for your word. So, God, um, your word will not return void. It will go out and achieve its intended purpose. So I'm asking you to do that in your name, Jesus. Um, do whatever you need to do. Whether it's comfort, convict, change, Lord God. That's ultimately what we want to see. We want to leave here changed, not the same the way that we came in. So, Holy Spirit, we're trusting you to do that. Uh, and, Lord God, I offer this service up to you. So come in here and make yourself at home. Uh, we welcome you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, some of you may know, I've told this, probably have told this story before, but uh, a, f- a few years ago, uh, I was playing basketball at church one time. Playing basketball, and I'm not going to lie, I was doing pretty good. I was hitting some threes. I was uh, getting a couple of steals. Uh, I was driving the hole, making getting my layups, and now all, everything was falling, right? We probably ran about three or four games full court. And then one time, uh, we're coming down uh, on our side of the court, and I make a cut to the basket. And then when I go up for a layup, one guy bumps me because I'm doing so good. He bumps me. because And then when I come down, my leg goes like that. My ACL tears and my meniscus flips and inverts into my kneecap. <laughs> Somebody who had knee injuries before can feel that they know all too well that pain. And of course, I had to get surgery and, uh, and I started rehab and it was a long, hard process. 
Um, but the one thing that I learned during that rehab process is the most difficult part was not necessarily the physicality of it, right? It's not when they had me bending. It was not when they had me doing different type of stretches. The most difficult part of the rehab process was the mental rehab. Every time I'm in rehab or even when I go home, the questions are just filling my brain. Am I going to go play basketball again? Is my knee ever going to be the same? Am I going to be able to walk the same again? I mean, I was just filled with all kinds of insecurities, all kinds of instability, which is filling my soul. Now, you may have not had a physical injury like I have, but you have had life injuries that can create the same kind of insecurities, same kind of instabilities, right? You had a promise from your father that he would come see you on Christmas Day or on your birthday only to be met with that long, heartbreaking mess for your mom. Hey, your dad's not going to be able to show up. Right? You may have had a long bout with your spouse to hear those words that I want a divorce. It hurts. It creates instability. It creates insecurity in one person's soul. And if you have felt that feeling long enough, that stuff will start to seep into your relationship with God. Right? God, these things are happening to me. I wonder, do you hear me? I wonder, do you even care what's going on? I wonder, are you even in my life right now? Insecurities. Instability. This is where we find ourselves in 1 John. You see in 1 John, John is penning a letter to some believers. And he's penning a letter because he heard them struggling with insecurities in their faith. You see, they were establishing their faith. They knew about Jesus, but then they heard of another camp teaching some other things about Jesus. This group was called the Gnostics. The Gnostics excuse me. You see, what the Gnostics would teach, they would teach that everything that is physical, everything that's matter, everything in this world is bad. It's bad. Get away with it. Do not touch it. Everything is bad. And all things are spiritual are good. And the more they kept hearing this teaching, it started to create instability, insecurities that they would feel in their faith. You see, the last thing that John wants for the believers and for us this morning it's for us to be swayed in our faith, for us to be insecure in our faith. On one side, you may hear even some teachings in this day where they're saying, hey, just live the life you want to live. It's all about you. Your truth is your truth. Live your truth. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. As long as you're happy, as long as you're feeling, as long as your experience is validated, as long as your thoughts are affirmed, then that's the way to live. But then on the other side, he says, I don't want you to sway on this either, that you have to do X, Y, and Z, or you have to do this, this, and that to be accepted by God, to gain his favor. He says, no matter where you find yourself on the spectrum, he says, that can sway you, and I don't want that to be. Both approaches are anti-gospel. And if you allow yourself to get caught up in that. <clears throat> it will leave you full of doubt. 
and insecure with your relationship towards God. So John is pinning this book because he wants us to have assurance. He wants stability. He wants confidence for us in our faith. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at 1 John 5, chapter, uh, verses, 1 through, uh, excuse me, verses 13 through 20. And we're going to see three certainties. Three certainties. The first one, you're going to see the certainty of eternal life. The certainty of eternal life. The second thing you're going to see is the certainty of prayer. All right? The certainty of prayer. And then the last thing we're going to see, we're going to see the certainty of God's testimony. Of God's testimony. I have a simple sermon title for this passage this morning. It's called Christian Certainty. Christian Certainty. Look at verse 13 with me, where we see the certainty of eternal life. I write these things that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, throughout the book of 1 John, John the Apostle has structured um, somewhat of a litmus test for the believers. He says, if you're a believer, this is how you would know, right? And why is he doing that? What he's saying, he said, I need to create a litmus test for you because you need to be able to know without a shadow of a doubt that you're a believer, that you are a son or a daughter of Jesus, right? He said, there has to be some evidences of your faith, right? It's very similar. So when you get married, when you look on the left finger, the left hand and the ring finger of your spouse, you'll see a wedding band, right? You have a marriage certificate or a marriage license. It's evidence, it's fruit that two have now become one. He says, you need a litmus test. Now, we're going to see that he writes these things that you may have eternal life. What comes to your mind when you think about eternal life? Think about it for a second. Every thought, have you ever stopped to think to think about what comes to your mind when you hear eternal life? What comes to your mind? Maybe it's a place, right? Maybe it's a place where it's sunny days, you're probably at the beach, there's water, you may be a nature person, or you may be in the mountains. Whatever your eternal life is, what is that? It may be a place, or maybe it's a time. Maybe it's a time where you, time has no end, right? And all those things may be true. But he says, eternal life is just not something or a place or a time. He says, eternal life is a person. Eternal life is a person. He says, and this is eternal life that you may know that on the true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Hmm. You see, eternal life is a person. Jesus is the eternal life. You see, before the universe, there was life. And there was life flowing between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what John is saying in his letter, it says that eternal life became flesh. It became a person. It became a man. So that we, as men, can participate in that eternal life. He said, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Come on now. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be? You shall be saved. And in that saving, God now says, the eternal life of who I am, I now bring you into that. 
and therefore you have eternal life. That's a key word, have. You have eternal life. It does not say that eternal life will be in the future or that you had eternal life or one day it will come or when you die it will happen or next week it will happen. He says, no, you have eternal life right here, right now. Isn't that good news, church? That right here, right now, we have eternal life. It's what we call the nowisms of the gospel. The nowism of the gospel is that sometimes we struggle to comprehend with. Because between God saving me and trusting in Christ and my sins been forgiven, that even in all of that, I get to experience the fullness of God right now. And I think that's a struggle for a lot of us. Because that Jesus did not just die for your past. Jesus did not just die for some future version of yourself. For you to make yourself up to be better you. Jesus died for you right here and right now. Who you are right here and right now, Jesus died for you. But you may say to me, Brother Brandon, you don't know what I did last night. Jesus cannot possibly love me. I cannot possibly have eternal life. Well, John says, no, no, if you believe in the Son of God, right here and right now. That's a tough conversation that you may have to have with your spouse or with a friend or a family member that you don't want to enter into. You know it's going to bring nothing but strife and it's going to disrupt everything in your world. But the now is eternal life says, no, I even died for that conversation. I died for that hard conversation for you to have. But Brandon, what if I relapse? I've been good for a year, two years, and I relapse. What about that? Right here, right now. What about my anger? Right here, right now. What about my overeating? I'm a glutton. I can't stop eating sometimes. I eat to, 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 put to, to bring comfort to myself. Right here, right now. He's not waiting for you to clean yourself up. He's not waiting for you to get it together. Right here, right now. You got to let that sink into your soul, church. That's good news. Because you know no matter what happened back then, what's going to happen in the future, or even happens today, the security, the certainty of the Bible, the certainty of a believer, that we have the fullness of God right here and right now. Amen? This is what John is writing to them. Remember, he's hearing teachings and saying, they're hearing things saying, there's a deeper level of God that I have to go into. I got to cast off everything physical that's bad. And I got to embrace everything physical that unlocks the door to deeper spirituality. He says, may it never be. You have the fullness of God in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ right here and right now. The certainty of eternal life. But then, you're going to see that he's going to tell them about a second certainty. And that's the certainty of prayer. The certainty of prayer. Look at verses 14 through 17 with me. He said, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. 
And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God and of God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There's a sin that leads to death. I do not say that, I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. We got a lot to unpack here. We're going to get through it. John is saying this. That there's a confidence that you can have when it comes to your prayer life. When you want to talk to God, when you want to communicate with God, he says there's a confidence that you can have. One day I was walking through Publix. And my wife called me and told me, hey, can you pick up some things for our connect group? Uh, our connect group that meets every Monday night at 6 p- 6.30 p.m. If you want to join a great connect group, please come out. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> but no, we're going through Publix, and, and she asked me to pick up some stuff. And, uh, you know, I get, the, I get a basket, and I'm walking down the aisle, and I see this man on the, in the aisle, uh, and... I've seen him, and it seemed like he's talking to himself. And, I mean, he was talking loud in a public place. Now, some of y'all, that may make you feel uncomfortable. Where I come from, that's pretty normal. But in Publix, you don't do that. (laughs) He was talking loud. And I was like, I don't know who he's talking to, but I hope they hear him. (laughs) And it was a strange scene. And so I get closer to him, and I start hearing more of the conversation. But then I, and I'm wondering, like, who is this man talking to? And then as I pass, not making eye contact, because that's, that's a weird moment. And then I look back, and then when I see in his ear, he only had one of his ear pods from the, uh, the ear pods in his ear. And then when I saw that, all made sense, because now I don't think this brother's crazy. I see that he, there's someone on the other end of the line that who he's talking to. It's the exact same thing that John is saying to us when it comes to prayer. That same confidence that that man had in public, talking on the other end of the line in his ear pod, the boldness, the loudness, the, the, the certainty that someone hears them, he says you can have that same kind of confidence when it comes to prayer. That's what he's saying, that when you pray, God hears you. When you need to talk to God, God hears you. And if you have kids, you know kids do not lack anything in confidence. You know kids don't lack anything in boldness. Many times I'll be talking to many of you here at church, after church, and your kids will come running up to you. Don't care who you're talking to. Don't care who's there. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Can I have this? Can I have that? Can I get an amen someone? You know the kid, they know when they see their mom and their dad, they say, I know I can go to them and I can ask them anything, and I believe that they are bringing it about. And when you have that confidence and when you have that assurance, it frees you to go and talk to them with that kind of authority or with that kind of safety. He says, when you pray, you can have the confidence. You can have the boldness to come to your father because you know he's going to hear you and you know he's going to be right there 
So my question for you this morning, do you struggle with confidence in your father? Do you believe that God will hear you? Do you believe that God is listening to you when you pray? Or do you feel like your prayers are just hitting a wall? They're just hitting the ceiling. Have confidence in your heavenly father. He hears you. But I love it. He puts some parameters on this. He says this. We can ask anything we want, right? But then he says, anything according to his will. That's important to pay attention to. Anything according to his will. Because what that, what that part is reminding us, it's reminding us of the relationship that we have to God. It's reminding us of our relationship in God, right? You see, he says, because let's be honest, this is not a type of genie type of relationship. It's not like I have three wishes, I rub the lamb, he comes out, and he gives me anything that I want. That's not what he's saying here. It's also not like a vending machine. Okay, as long as I do my good work and my good deeds, I put a coin here, point coin there, and if I do that, he's supposed to give me anything that I want. He's trying to set the proper boundaries on this relationship. He says, look, when you pray, you pray according to his will, and that his will will may be revealed through us. You see, prayer is not making us, it's not making God aware about things. He already knows. It's about us telling God how, or about how we should tell God to fix things in our life. So prayer is not about, Lord, I need you to fix my spouse. He or she is messing up. I need you to fix them. Or Lord, I need you to send me a man. Because Lord, I need someone in my life. Or Lord, I need you to grow my church. We got two services coming. I need you to send them. It's not here. What he's saying is, God, when we pray according to his will, he says, God, I know you have a plan. And Lord, these are some of my desires that I have. But I know that your will will prevail. And Lord, if I'm not in line with it, bring me in line with your will. See, prayer is a readjusting of the believer. See, prayer, when we bring our cares, when we bring our desires, when we bring ourselves to God in prayer, in that moment, what God is doing, he's now, this is my will. And now I'm bringing you over to line you up. And when I line you up straight, God says, according to you, well, we can ask whatever we want. He will make it happen. Because let's be honest, sometimes we don't pray for God's will. Sometimes... We know for certainty that God has already laid out his will in scripture. You may come to me and say, Lord, I'm dating this person and I'm wondering if I should marry him. Good prayer. Take that to your father. Lord, he, he don't really believe in Jesus, but I really love him. and He's a great guy. Bless our marriage. Bless our relationship. See, church, there's certain things you don't need to pray about. God's already told you. You see clear, and 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 14 says, if another person comes, if a, if a person is of the dark and you are the light, those two things have no relation. 
You don't have to pray long, church. You don't have to talk about it for long. <laughs> but then he takes it a level deeper. It's verse 16, 17. He, said, he brings up the matter of praying for your brothers. He says, if your brother is committing a sin, guess what you should do? Pray for them. Pray for God to restore them. Pray for God to revive them. Pray for God to give them life. You see, the certainty of prayer that we have in Jesus, that we have in God, is that we can confidently pray for our family in Christ. Because this is definitely a part of God's will, and God definitely wants to see that come about. But he makes a distinction between the type of sinning that we may see in a person. He says there's a sin that leads to death and a sin that does not lead to death. What exactly what is, is John talking about here? Hmm. Always remember, when you come to a part in Scripture that you may have a difficulty understanding, the key thing that you must know is that Scripture interprets Scripture. This word right here in God is God's infallible word. There is no error. There is no lie. And so if you see something difficult, you can go to another part in the Bible that will help you understand what you're reading here. Because context is king when it comes to reading scripture. And he says this, all wrongdoing is sin. Not only that, but Paul says the same thing in Romans 6.23, that all sin deserves death. So what sin does not lead to death? It's a sin that's been forgiven by God. You see that? It's a sin that's been forgiven by God. If your sin has been forgiven by God, it's a sin that does not lead to death. It's, you are made alive in Christ. Right? But then, what is the sin that leads to death? Remember, context is king. Who is he trying to refute to his believers? The Gnostics who taught a different type of theology. They taught a different type of way of thinking. And he says, in addressing this heresy, I need you guys to understand that what they're teaching, that all things are bad. Clearly, that's not true, because God made all things. When he made creation, what did he say about creation? It is what? Good. So that can't be. So what is he getting at? Hmm. Now, many scholars have wrestled with this for years about what exactly he's talking about. Is it the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit or is it some type of falling away from the faith? They have debated for years. But the one thing we know we can take to the bank is that in either one of those camps it's a heart posture between those camps. It's a heart posture that says, God, I don't believe in you. God, Jesus, I don't want nothing to do with you. I'm going to do things my way and my way alone. Forget what you say, God. And he says, when a person has that type of posture, that sin leads to death. That's what we can know for sure. So here's the here's application. Never stop praying. Don't stop praying. When you see your brother and sister in sin, pray for them. Don't look away, but approach God on their behalf. Because remember, when everybody says, you can't judge me, I live my life, da, 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 you know, when they get into that mode. The reason we pray first is because that's the God's will. And what God does is that this is my will. As you pray for them, I'm aligning you with my will. 
So when you come to them, you're able to take the log out of your eye while you see the speck in theirs. Pray for them. Is there one person that you can pray for this morning? Is there a person in your life right now that you can think, Lord, I see them going down a road that's not going to be pretty. I see them following a path that is not going to lead to life. John says, pray for them. Beseech them on God. Beseech on their behalf, God. Make it your business this week to pray and see how God responds. I mean that. Pray for them this week and see how God responds. So we see the certainty of eternal life. We see the certainty of prayer. But then we're going to see the certainty of God's testimony. Look at verse 18 through 20. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true and his son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves away from idols. So John is wrapping this up and he wraps it up with God's testimony or his final statement about sin. The world and his son. In verse 18, he says, no one born of God keeps on sinning. Now, when you see that word sinning, he's not talking about a once in the moment sin. He's talking about a lifestyle, a habitual act of sinning. Like this characterizes your life. This is what you do. This is who you are, right? That's what he's talking about. Hmm. He says, when you become a child of God, you realize that you can no longer continue sin as a habit as you did when you were not saved. The same thing that Paul says in Romans 6. He says, shall we keep on sinning so that the grace of God may abound? No. You don't do that. That's the, that you tell the, the true heart of a believer. Yes, we fall. And yes, we make mistakes. But we don't want to stay there. But you don't want to keep on doing those things. Because sometimes I believe we have the wrong view of sin. I think a lot of times we have it right up here. Like we can spit some good theology to you and we can talk some good Bible. But a lot of times when it comes to what's going on in our heart, sometimes there's a, a huge disconnect. Because sometimes when we look at our sin, we may say, yeah, I sinned, but at least I didn't get caught. At least nobody found out. Right? You might even say, you know what, I sinned, and to be honest with you, I really liked it. It felt good. I'm looking forward to the next time I can do it again. You know it's wrong, but in essence, what scripture is saying, it's like self-abuse. It's like when you keep on sinning, and you keep walking in that, you keep, it's like self-abuse. You literally hinder, you're literally harming yourself and harming your relationship to others, and most importantly, you harm your, your relationship with God. It's abusive. And God says, I tell you not to sin. I'll tell you things to keep away from because there's a life of abundance that I have for you. And if you continue to live that way, you will cut yourself off from that. 
There's a song that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Look at someone who has eternal life will not keep on sinning. Look at what John 10, 29 says. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them from my father's hand. I and the father are one. You see, there's a security in Jesus that no one, nor evil plan, nor evil scheme can take you out the Father's hands. That's what I love about being a Christian. That's a security that we have. We know that the sins of the past or the future do not stop us, do not prevent us from being with God. In verse 19, he says, we see the testimony of God about the world. He said, John uses the world and he's referring like society. We're looking at what we live in now. That's what he's referring to. And he says, it is at war with God's people right now. Make no mistake about it. There's an enemy out there, and he wages war against the people of God. He does not want the plans of God to succeed in your life and in the world. He wars against them. And all things in the world that say we should find our joy, our happiness, our satisfaction outside of Jesus, that's the world. And he says, John, John says this there, look, there are two propositions you can go. Either you're of God or you're under the control of the evil one. Now this one, this may rub people the wrong way. He gets very exclusive about his claim here. Either you're with God or you're against God. You can't cross over. Either you're of the world or you're of God. <laughs> For not taking a stand on the God's testimony is equivalent to saying I'm with the world. Neutrality is not possible. In verse 20, he says, the God's testimony about his son, people are wondering, okay, this thing about the Gnostics, these things that they're teaching, is this true? Do they got the inside scoop that we somehow missing on? Are they on to something? And what John is saying is like, no, they don't. God has told you, God has showed you who Jesus is. He has given you understanding. You know who he is. He's the true God, and he has eternal life. And guess what, family? He's enough. Jesus is enough. You can turn to him. You can come to him with your sin. You see, set apart from Jesus, we cannot see God. We cannot experience God. We cannot understand him because Jesus gives us all those things. So three certainties. Certainty of eternal life, the certainty of prayer, and the certainty of God's testimony that Jesus is the true God and he is eternal life. But it seems like he, turns, he makes a switch at the end. Because he makes his statement, he kind of drops the mic on, he drops the mic there. But then he says, keep yourselves away from idols. That seemed to come out of left field. What are you talking about? Hmm. 
You see, we haven't talked about idolatry in this whole section, and then now he want to bring up idolatry. In fact, he lays what John is doing. He gets very pastoral with his people. He wants them to be assured, but he says, as a pastor, and throughout the whole book, he says, little children, my children, children of God. That's very warm words that he uses with people that you care about. He says, keep yourselves away from idols. And what he's, why he says that? Because at the core of all uncertainties, at the core of all insecurities, at the core of all of that, what he's saying is, reject the false and embrace the real. That's why he says, keep yourself from idols. Because what's an idol? An idol is taking a good thing and making it a God thing. It's taking something that God has made for good and then it morphs into something that takes the place of God. And the reason that we may be insecure in our relationship with God, in a relationship with people, in our relationship with the world, is we have taken maybe good things and changed them to God things. So reject the false teaching, reject the fear, reject the lies, reject the toxic and bad relationships that may be in your life. John saying, reject the lust, reject the pride, reject the people pleasing, embrace all the certainty that God has provided for you and me in Jesus Christ. Embrace eternal life right here, right now. Embrace the certainty of your prayer. Embrace praying with confidence to God, knowing that he hears you and knowing that he hears you when you pray according to his will. Our hope this morning is that if you are a believer, that you embrace that. But my prayer is that if you don't, if this is not you, that you will lay down, like they said at the, at the song, come to the altar. His arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the certainties that we can have as Christians. Thank you for the confidence that we can have when we need to come to you with prayer. Thank you, God, for the testimony that you said about your son, that God that you said about Jesus. And may we embrace that, embrace the real, and reject the fake. The fake is always trying to have a loud voice in our minds and in our hearts, God. How we should feel about this. How we should feel about that. But God, may we even take these uncertainties and we bring them before you. Knowing that when we come to you in prayer, you're going to align us with your will. You're going to get us right. And we trust that. If anybody under my voice does not believe that, I pray salvation will find them today. So they, too, can see that Jesus is Lord and he is my God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.